Uh, if you've been with us, you know that we've been in the uh, book of 1 John. Um, we're trying desperately to get out of chapter 2, but it's taking a while. I promise we're almost there. Um, and last week, things got a little crazy. Um, for the first time, John started talking about the Antichrist. Um, and so we talked a little bit about that. Um, we mentioned a little bit about what um, to expect in the, in, the, in the end, the end of days, who this Antichrist was and what he's like. Um, but then we also noted that, um, well, the Antichrist, you know, the early church, John's church, was so focused on, on figuring out who he is and what he's about and when he's coming that they, they missed something that happened in, the midst, in their own midst. They missed that in their own midst, Antichrists or little mini previews of the one Antichrist were rising up and, and causing dis, uh, sowing discord and, and change and, and breaking the church up. And we, we said, hey, we don't want to be that. And so this week, uh, part two of a, kind of a mini three-part series in this, in this text, uh, it's a big chunk of text, I don't want to miss uh, anything in it. And so in part two, we're talking about who uh, these antichrists are and what they're like. And, and I think that if we're, if we're attentive and we listen to John's language and we see what characterizes these, these antichrist-type people, then maybe we'll be able to come home today um, and leave this place with some recognition of what that is and some, some really honest, really simple and very practical things that we can do to not fall into that trap, to not be caught up with those people, or even worse, become them ourselves. And so, uh, to, to just kind of get your, uh, your juices flowing, um, I, I was, I've been thinking about uh, the real Jesus, and you noticed it in our, um, our, our music this morning. Uh, all the songs were really about who the real Jesus is. He's a lion, he's a lamb, he's this, he's that. Um, and, and, and sometimes I wonder if we're wondering, you know, we, we're kind of asking the question, will the real Jesus please stand up? You know, Jesus, the, there's so many different ways that people characterize who you are, and yet I wonder if, if any of them are even close. Uh, the first one um, I, I, I thought of was uh, the Buddy Christ. Um, you know Buddy Christ? He's, um, he's like, you know, he's your pal. Uh, this, if you're in the church, uh, if you've been in the church for a long time, you know this. And maybe if, even if you haven't, you've recognized that a lot of, um, a lot of Christians have, have a, a, their, Jesus is their best pal. And he's like the one like, oh, go get him, tiger. You're great. You're awesome. And I'm always with you. I'm always right there by your side. I'm your pal. Uh, another um, example of, of uh, a real Jesus, Rambo Jesus. Rambo, I almost got fired um, years ago when one of my first sermons... I think I did get fired, it's hard to remember, um, was on the Rambo Jesus, uh, because it's true, in the way that Gospel of Mark is, it portrays Jesus, he's like out on this mission to destroy evil, and he's getting, and anything that stands in the way, he just blows him away, you know, with, I mean, not, you know what I mean, he, he's casting out demons, he's not killing people, but the idea is, is that there's a Rambo Jesus, he's strong, he's engaged, he's, he's a warrior, it, evil cannot stand up against him, and we, we kind of sometimes identify with that as we try to fight evil in our lives. Also, the Stoic philosopher Jeff, Jefferson Jesus, I don't know if you know, but um, founding father Thomas Jefferson had his own version of the Bible, he uh, took out everything except for the uh, Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount. Because he thought that was kind of like the good stuff. Uh, and the rest of it was like silly. Um, academics love to make Jesus into, you know, kind of like a moral teacher. Uh, sometimes like a, um, kind of, he's detached. He's sort of like a scholar. He's like, he's pouring over things. He he's, has deep insight. Uh, and so academics and scholars like to imagine Jesus as almost like a reflection of themselves. This kind of, you know, this, this, uh, this, this, he teaches you how to live a good life sort of person. 
Or also we have um, the compassionate, cuddly lamb. This is, um, this, is, this is Jesus, you're broken, and you're hurt, and Jesus is going to nurture you, and you snuggle up close to him, and he's going to keep you whole and make you right. He's, he's going to nurture you and love you and be compassionate to you. On the opposite end also is the alpha male lion. This Jesus is a Jesus who's about success and greatness. Jesus is going out. He's like, he, he, he teaches us how to be leaders, how to be men, how to be a, a aggressive, masculine. This is the Jesus that turns over tables, and he is a, he is, he's a winner. He's, he's not a loser Jesus. He's a winner Jesus. He knows how to get things done. We've got hippie Jesus. Yep. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, peace and love, man. Like, Jesus, man, like, just, just love. Can't we all just get along, man? Like, that's right, that's Jesus, right? I mean, he's the one who's, who's creating peace, just like, just shouting it out and telling us how to, how to just, just put away your swords, man. Like, just put it away. Uh, we've got a strict teacher Jesus. This is Jesus who's like, you're not good enough. You keep, keep working. I know you can do better. Come on, get to it. Uh, and I think, is this last one? Oh, no, Radical Rebel Jesus. This is James Dean Jesus. He's like, the Empire Man. I got nothing against you, man, but I, I'm taking down the man. I got a black leather jacket, my motorcycle, my cigarette, and I am too cool for school, easy rider, man. I will not stand, I will not stand for all of this nonsense that the, that the man has, has put in place. I won't stand for the Empire. I'm a rebel. I'm going to tear everything down. Rome, forget you. Whoever the Empire is these days, forget you. And last but not least is Black Jesus. Um, really, kind of in the 1960s and 70s, um, it started out with just Black Jesus, and now there's also um, Feminist Jesus, Latino, Latina Jesus, um, Asian Jesus, uh, G- the Jesus of, of uh, historically oppressed minorities, people who um, have always felt on the outside. And this is the Jesus who says, if you're on the outside, I'm with you. And I'm, I'm with you against the majority, against the oppressor. I'm going to liberate you against those who seek to oppress you. Will the real Jesus please stand up? Who is the real Jesus is the question I want us to be thinking about as we engage the text today. Who is he? And how would we know if we met him? Which Jesus is the real thing? And how would we know if we met him? Let's take a look at the text today. This is 1 John 2, 18 to 24. I'm going to get a whole block of text here. We're really going to be focusing on about two to three verses. John says, little children, this is the final hour, and as you have heard, Antichrist is coming. Yet even now, many Antichrists have come, which is why we know this is the final hour. They, these Antichrists, they left us, but they were never really with us. For if they were truly ours, then they would have stayed with us. But their leaving made it plain that none of them were really ours. Look, you have the Holy Spirit's anointing, so you're in the know. I'm not writing to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. And because you know that no lie originates in the truth. You want to know who a liar is? Well, anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, such a person is the Antichrist. The one who refuses to acknowledge the Father and the Son, that person is the Antichrist. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but the one who acknowledges the Son has the Father too. You've got to have both. Make sure what you heard from the beginning stays with you. If what you heard from the beginning stays with you, then you will stay with both the Son and the Father. Even now, many antichrists have come. They left us, but they were never really with us. You might wonder, who is us? Um, and it's actually an interesting question. You might assume that uh, John's talking about the people in his church, 
right? Like the churches in Ephesus. Uh, John is, this is probably, he's older now. This is probably late first century that he's writing. And he's, he's retired or he's ministering in Ephesus. And there's a bunch of churches there. And these churches have gone through a split. And like a, a bunch of people, these antichrists, have come and they've said some, some not crazy stuff. And as they've done it, they've split the churches and a lot of people have followed. And so there's this question. They left us, but they were never really with us. Who is us? Um, because it really changes the way that we understand uh, what, what John's up to. Notice the we and us language in 1 John. This is the very beginning of 1 John. This is, was way back in January when we did this. John says, we, us, are announcing to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what our eyes have seen, what we have gazed upon, what our hands have touched concerning the word of life. This life was made visible. We saw. We witnessed it. And now we announce to you the eternal life that was with us, that was with the Father and has been revealed to us. He goes on, we are announcing what we have seen and heard to you so that you might have union with us. For indeed, our union is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, that's, notice that the us, what characterizes the we and the us in this text is that they have, they've known Jesus. They've touched him. They've been with him. They've heard him. They've witnessed him. They, I mean, they've handled him. They've seen the very word of life, the one who is from the Father, from the beginning, has been in their midst, and they've gotten to know him. They've become familiar with him. They have been with him. These are not just every church member. These are apostles. These are the people like John and Peter and James, those guys who lived with Jesus, who did life with Jesus, who saw his resurrection. Uh, not just the, the disciples, but, but all those who gathered around him, the women who gave him places to, to sleep and, 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 and provided for his needs. These people who knew Jesus, that's the first thing in your note sheets in John, we and us refer to the apostles who knew Jesus, the real Jesus, during his life. And so let's go back and look at the text again, look at the Antichrists. They were never really with us. Not us, the church in Ephesus, but us, those who followed and knew Jesus. They were never really with us. They, they were around. They were in the mix. Um, they, they were probably a part uh, of the church in some peripheral way, but they weren't the ones who got to know Jesus. They weren't the ones who handled him and touched him and saw him and heard him. They weren't the ones who witnessed his resurrection. And so they, they, may have, they might have come to Ephesus and claimed to be apostles. They might have said, we know the real Christ, but they don't. They didn't. And when they left, it made it clear that they didn't. They didn't know the real Jesus. The Antichrist came from the Jerusalem church, probably, but never knew Jesus like John and the other disciples did. And as a result, they have a skewed message. There's a problem with what they want to say. Oh, man, you can't beat the real thing, young Matt LeBlanc. Wow. Before he was in Friends, he was hawking coke. 
That's, uh, that was 1990, not that one yet, if we can wait. That was uh, 1990, that, uh, that ad came out. You can tell because of the music and the hair and the uh, low definition. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I can't deal with anything less than 4K at this point. Um, it has to be Ultra HD or I'm not interested. Uh, and, and it's because I have glasses, and so I can see the difference. And it's like when we're watching TV now, I'm like counting the pores on, on, on his face. I'm like, oh, and then, oh, dude, you missed a spot. You got to shave real close there, pal. Uh, it's, it's incredible. And so now when I see stuff like this, I just, I get the shakes. And I'm like, ugh, I can't be entertained by this anymore. That came out in 1990. Did you hear it? Can't beat the real thing. Oh, yeah. You can almost imagine boys to men singing it. I mean, ooh. Can't beat the real thing. The real thing, that's what we call Coke, right? That actually, that slogan came out in 1970. Um, there's this, I almost put this commercial up, but it was too cheesy. Well, okay, couldn't possibly be too cheesy after LeBlanc there, but uh, it was also cheesy. And it's a whole bunch of people from all over the world on a hilltop singing like in harmony and like sharing a Coke. Like, oh yeah. It's 1970, Coke becomes the real thing. And then that, 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 that sort of uh, faded out, the real thing, as a, uh, as, as a, a brand for Coke. They stopped using that. They didn't, they didn't bring that out as much. Had a bunch of, different, um, bunch of different slogans. And then something tragic happens in 1985. Something that almost destroyed the entire world. Uh, it, was, it was an apocalypse of sorts. When this travesty was pushed on, on America. New Coke. Oh my gosh, new Coke. The old Coke, the classic Coke, apparently wasn't good enough. And, so, and then they did, they did their homework. This is a true fact. They actually did a whole bunch of, um, of marketing research. And what was going on was in the early 80s, Pepsi was starting to get, you know, gain market share against Coke. And so Coca-Cola was getting nervous. And so in Atlanta, they got together with all their scientists and they started, they started messing with the original formula. And the issue was the original formula wasn't sweet enough. One of the things that people who like Pepsi said is they said, Pepsi has the right amount of sweetness. It really gets to my tongue. It's more palatable. It's more attractive. I like it better. And so the, the, the execs at Coca-Cola were like, well, we've got to figure out how to, how to head these guys off at the pass. And so they added a little bit of sugar, a little more corn syrup, because there wasn't enough originally. They just they, they upped the dosage a little bit, and they started doing blind taste tests. And sure enough, when people tried new Coke, and they tried it next to Pepsi. They were like, oh, this new stuff is great. It's got that zing that I need. It's so palatable, so sweet, so easy to get into. The Coca-Cola executives went forward in 1985. Within a year, the uproar was so tremendous that they began moving back from new Coke and began reinserting what was now Coca-Cola Classic, right? Original Coke, the, the real thing. Right? And, they, and they brought that, 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 that slogan back. They're like, remember the real thing? Remember the authentic, the real thing? You, gotta, you need that back because, boy, we made a terrible mistake. It turns out that, yes, in a blind taste test next to Pepsi, new Coke wins. But original Coke has something, a je ne sais quoi. In fact, there's a five-minute um, press conference that the uh, um, executive in charge of Coca-Cola Classic gave in 1985-86 to, to apologize. And he said, there's something about original Coke that has power. There's something about it that inspires passion in people. And, and even though our marketing research said that new Coke was, was better, there's something about the original, something about the classic that, that compels, that, it, that engages people, and, and they can't get away from it. They, they love it. It empowers them. It, it, it 
creates passion in them. And we didn't understand that. We missed it. We, we wanted to, to market and follow the research and, and get people attracted and, and make the Coke more palatable. And we missed the power of the original recipe. I want to suggest to you that something very similar is happening um, in the church in Ephesus and in the church now. That something almost identical is happening. That the Jesus Christ classic is deemed not sweet enough, not palatable enough, not exciting enough. In fact, what we need is we need a new Christ, a better Christ, a more exciting Christ, a Christ that really gets us on the tongue. And as we look now at what the Antichrist, what John says characterizes them, I want you to think, how is this a fake gospel? How is this a new Coke? And what's wrong with it? John says, I'm not writing to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. And because you also know that no lie originates in the truth. Who's a liar? Well, I'll tell you. Anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Well, Christ is, as you may or may not know, it's the, it's the Greek translation of, of the word Messiah, or anointed one, appointed one, special one of God. And apparently these antichrists, they were, they, they were saying, you know what, I can't tell you, I'll tell you what Jesus is, but he's definitely not, he's definitely not the Messiah. Definitely not the Messiah, because the Messiah, and we'll talk about why that's a problem, but, but the, the first thing they deny is that, that he's not the Messiah, and they think this is going to be good news to the church, that Jesus is not the Messiah. The next uh, thing, uh, if we go back to the text, the one who refuses to acknowledge the Father and the Son Anyone who, who, who you're, they're not exactly sure what the relationship is, but, but Jesus, whoever he is, he's not the son of the father. And, and sometimes Trinitarian doctrine is a little strange for us, but, but there, there's a relationship between Christ and the father that the, the Antichrist want to say, no, he's not the son. He's not the son. He's a lot of things, but he's not that. And, and if you can recognize that, you're going to realize this is a new Coke, a better Christ, a more compelling, palatable, sweet Jesus. The last thing, this is actually uh, from, not from our text, it's from the fourth chapter of John, of 1 John, um, where the Antichrists are mentioned again. But John says this, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And that's the spirit of the Antichrist. In the flesh. He's human. Antichrist want to say, Jesus, look, he might have been like a floaty spirit fairy, but he definitely wasn't human. And this is going to make things better for you. This is a better Coke. If you recognize that the real Christ isn't human, you're going to understand some good things about him. Some things that are going to be really compelling. I'd like to look at uh, some of those. Because those right there are the new Coke Christ. If Jesus is not the Messiah... That's some really good news. Because here's the thing. If God sent a Messiah, he's saying something really negative about you. See, if if God sent an anointed one, a special one, to come and save, that means that you couldn't do the saving on your own. It means that there's something wrong with you, something that you can't fix. Something that we as a people can't fix. We go out in the world, and especially as Westerners, as Americans, we're like... Let's take care of it. Let's fix it. As a man, I'm constantly trying to fix my wife's problems. It never works. She does not want to be fixed. She's perfect as she is. 
But I, I do, I'm like, I, I just need to get in there. And we, when we, think, we think that we can fix the world problem. If only everyone in the world were just like me, then finally it would be perfect. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix the laws and the politicians, and, and I'm going to change the community and set the rules, and I'm going to do this, 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 and finally the world will be right. If God sends a Messiah, then that's not true. God's saying, you're not right. Tom, you're not right. You're corrupt. And you are not salvageable of your own power. You can't be fixed by you. I've got to fix you. Well, that's so bland. Oh, what a terrible, oh gosh, no. I I much prefer, I much prefer a new Coke. One that's sweeter, that says, Tom, you can do it. You, if you just get the right stuff together, you can make things perfect. Now get to work, buddy. The Antichrist, if Jesus is the Messiah, then we are people that need saving. We can't do it on our own. The next one is uh, that Jesus is the Son of the Father. This is interesting because... um, they, the, the Antichrist appear to be denying that there's this special relationship between the Son and the Father. Uh, and the reason that's, that's, that's troubling is because if you go back to the Old Testament, there's a lot of ways. You get, God is described in a lot of ways in the Old Testament. Yahweh, who, whom Jesus calls Father, descri- described in a lot of ways. And some of them, he, you know, he's telling people to kill a whole bunch of people. In other places, he's being extremely merciful. Sometimes he's being incredibly gracious. Sometimes, it's just hard to make sense of who that God is. In fact, if you're a member of the ancient world, you know what, it, what you want to know about gods. You want to know what it is they like. Because if, if you know what they like, then you can give it to them, and then they'll be nice to you. This is how ancient peoples a lot of time thought about, the god or, or about God or the gods. And so if you just know the rules, like this God likes it when I you know, massacre all of his enemies. Well, okay, God, I'm going to go massacre your enemies, and now you make sure that I get rich. Right? That's how this works. Tit for tat. An economy of exchange. Give and get. Or this God likes it when, you know, we slaughter animals or, or burn these, uh, you know, wheat or, 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 or apples or whatever. Whatever we give, these gifts that we give to God and make him so he's disposed to, to like us. We can actually control God if we know what God likes. But if Jesus is the son, then he is the ultimate and complete reflection of the father's nature. He shares the Father's DNA, as it were. He, he shares the Father's character. Everything we know about Jesus is definitive about who God is. And what do we know about Jesus? He forgives relentlessly. He does tell us what the truth is. He exposes us as we are, but he also comes in grace and graciousness. He, he does what he wants. He's not somebody we control. We're not the ones in power. Jesus comes and saves us. He does to us. We don't do to him. There's nothing we can do that Jesus says, oh, now I like you. In fact, Jesus came with the love of God for the whole world to begin with. He didn't develop it based on what people did. And that's a big, big problem. Because if Jesus can't be bought off, then we can't make God do what we want. That's the next thing in your note sheets. If, If Jesus is the son of the father, then we cannot manipulate God. We can't find a way to make sure that God's going to do exactly what we want in our lives. We can't find a way to be just good enough so that God won't strike us down with this terrible disease. In fact, God is completely free and he can do whatever he wants. And we have to receive all of it as his love and his grace. That's really not good news. That's really bland. 
that's a really offensive taste in my mouth. And what the Antichrist says, they, they took the edge off, sweetened it up, and said, oh, no, no. You can manipulate God. You, you can, there's, I'm going to teach you ways to get God to, be, to do what you want, what you need. He's going to give you what you need based on, on my, my uh, teaching. The last um, thing that the Antichrist denies is that Jesus is human. Now, if you're a Christian, you're like, oh, but Jesus' humanity, that's a really cool thing because it means that he understands me. He, he knows where I'm coming from. He understands my, my difficulties and my challenges. He's been there. If Jesus if wasn't human, he wouldn't do any of that. Well, that's very sweet of you, but here's another problem with that. Here's the problem with Jesus being human. If Jesus really is the Son of the Father who brings and unites human nature to divine nature completely and fully, and he lived the way he did, then there is no reason that we can't be like him through faith. We can't. There's no reason we can't be like him. The next thing you're no cheats. If Jesus is truly human, we can actually be like him. That's really bad news because if you notice the way Jesus lived, it was actually really holy. He was actually kind of hard by our, our, our standards. He was ridiculously self-giving. He was willing to suffer with joy. He was willing to accept whomever came to him. He didn't set up barriers. He was sexually chaste. There was a lot of things about Jesus that aren't fun for us. And yet, if he was able to do it, and we've been joined to his nature through faith, we can too. That's really bad news for those of us who don't want to live like Jesus. I get it. We, uh, look, I'm with you. Um, we're all sinners. That's not going to stop. Um, but there's this attitude that, that comes out where it's sometimes where it's like, well, I mean, I can't control, I mean, I'm, I'm 17. I can't control these hormones. They ruled me. You know, or, or I, I've been married to the same person too long. And I, I, I just can't, I can't do it anymore. I, I'm just a human being. And so it's okay, right? To go and do and commit sin. It's okay. Jesus covers me. No, it's not. Because in his humanity, he provided access for us as human beings to live as he lived. And that's really bad news if you want a sweet and palatable Christ. If Jesus is truly human, then we can actually be like him. What does this all mean? What does this, you know, what does this get to? Well, it, it, it means that the Antichrist were people who, who wanted to provide a new Coke. There were people who wanted to, to generate some new way of, of, of understanding Jesus, a way that isn't classic, it's not original. And what do all of those things have in common? They take the edge off Christ. He's no longer an offense. He's no longer an unsettling presence in your life. He suddenly becomes your buddy. He becomes whatever, but he suddenly doesn't have that edge, that, that, that pull that says, you're not good enough, I'm going to take care of you, and now I want you to live a holy life. He does, it, suddenly we, we're, we're with, a, with a Christ that, that unsettles us and makes us uncomfortable. We're, we're with a Christ that we don't have control over, that we can't... In the end, um, this is something that we all do. It's not just antichrists. It's not just these heretics on um, the church in Ephesus. It's something that every single one of us does. 
Do we have the, uh, the list again? You know, you're the person who just wants someone to be with you because you're lonely. You got your buddy Christ. And buddy Christ doesn't make demands of you. Buddy Christ doesn't tell you to step out. Buddy Christ isn't like a real friend who says, actually, no, that's a terrible idea. You want to see victory in this world. You want to see evil vanquished. You want to see Jesus with guns blazing destroying all the evil around you. And you forget that Jesus was destroying evil, yes, but he was loving the sinners and he was merciful to them. You want to be Jefferson Jesus, the Jesus who just tells you how to have a good life and how to get along with people. Never minding that Jesus' life was a life of constant conflict, a life that by any uh, of our measures was not a success. You want a compassionate, cuddly lamb, but you forget that he's also a roaring lion. You want a roaring, manly lion, you forget that he's a compassionate lamb. You want a hippie who tells you, hey man, it's all good, it's just love and peace, man. You know, this crazy thing about hippies, I didn't know any because I'm too young, but in my caricature world of hippies, it, it's that there, there's never like a discussion of what exactly peace is, what exactly love is, and how actually difficult both of those things are to achieve. In fact, if you want peace with people, it turns out that most of the time you have to change yourself. And who wants to do that? If you want to love people, it turns out that you have to tell them things they don't want to hear. And who wants to do that? It's much easier to hide behind the bro. 